you know, I've lived in Texas all my life, and I have completely given up on trying to handicap the energy business. I just, I let, I, you know, Wednesday, the inventory numbers came out, and they, to me, indicated that oil and natural gas and gasoline should head one way, and they headed just the opposite. Tuesday, we had that big rally. Wednesday, we had the big sell-off. But, like, go back to April in 2020. I mean, we had a negative $37 a barrel. I don't know, I don't know how you operated this climate, but I know who has for several decades, Barry Davis, who's the chairman and the CEO of InLink Midstream, and he joins us right now. It's good to have you with us. Hey, David. It's great to be with you. You ever think about just, like, running a, you know, a lunatic asylum instead? <laughs> this really is, how do you gauge what goes on in this business? How do you know, how do you plan yeah. when you have these volatile swings like this? certainly is a challenge, David. I, I would start and, and certainly want the listeners to know that we are in a sector of the industry that on a relative basis uh, is very steady. Uh, as you know, we've talked about it before, we are the tollway, and so we're charging a fee for what moves. And so we aren't directly impacted uh, by what happens with commodity prices, but certainly we've seen incredible volatility um, over the years. But you have to have you have to have some sense of what's, what capacity, you know, you're going to need to require whether you go out and, and you've already got, you know, what, 12,000 miles of pipelines. You know, if you've got demand like this and all of a sudden everybody's exporting natural gas, maybe you need to double it. But then again, if you go to minus $37 a barrel, you know, hydrocarbons, you've got too many. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the, the law of su supply and demand uh, does work in our industry. And, and uh, you know, David, we've seen four major cycles in the last 20 years. Uh, so on average, about every five years. And what's interesting is it has actually been almost exactly on five years. Every five years, we've had a dramatic downturn. And I, I kind of define a dramatic downturn where we lose at least 50% of our commodity price um, and we've done that in each of those four down cycles, 2000, 2008, again in 2015, and then in uh, 2020 with the pandemic. But every time there was something that caused a major uh, imbalance in the supply and demand. And most recently, obviously, with the pandemic, uh, it was the incredible downturn in demand. And now we've seen that demand come back. Uh, but in this cycle, this up cycle, where we're seeing crude oil today at above $80 on the WTI and uh, natural gas prices around $5, I mean, we're actually seeing it on both sides of the supply and demand. On the supply side, we've underinvested for the last several years uh, in replacing supply. You had a lot of weak players that disappeared from, yeah. you know, from the face yeah. of the earth. Yeah, not only did we have weak players that disappeared, but we had strong players who the market just demanded that they stop investing in drilling new wells. And so, uh, you know, the big producers have shown incredible adherence to the capital plans that they have laid out to the market. So even in the face of the prices we're seeing today, we've seen very little response in terms of activity in the industry. We think it'll come. We think 22 with new balance, uh, with new capital budgets, we'll start to see some increased activity. Are there any threats out there? Well, I guess there are always threats. Let me rephrase that. How serious is is the EV threat, for example, to yeah. to the industry? And and I and I say the EV threat, but I really mean, you know, electrical generation. You know, for power that we've got wind and solar and 
And now Ford wants to be completely electric, and Lord knows Tesla is, and Rivian new IPO took off. Yeah. And it's not it's not immediate, but it's got to be a threat to your industry, doesn't it? Well, you you've said it exactly the way I would say it. So so I'm going to broaden the description of what you're you know talking about as being the energy transition, transitioning to an energy that has a less intense carbon footprint and the EVs uh, burning, you know, electric fired uh, uh, vehicles uh, is thought to be less emissions uh, than you see in a, a hydrocarbon fueled vehicle. And so, but look, I mean, you, you said it, I believe the energy transition is real, but it's not right now. Uh, it's going to take decades for us to have a replacement for that. And uh, I think our industry is doing things right now that will actually elongate that transition because the, the cleaner we get as an industry, the more tolerable we're gonna be and the longer the transition will take. And so we are doing things that is making a difference in the industry. Uh, so, so that's number one thing. The second thing I think is, you know, all of the rhetoric has been around energy transition, getting to electric fired vehicles and other ways to decrease emissions. Uh, what we're going to start seeing, I believe, is a balance between the energy transition and energy security. Uh, the winter that we're about to go through is going to really open some people's eyes to the fact that we need hydrocarbon energy if we're going to live the life that we have come become accustomed to. Wait, 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 we're not, we're not going to go through. I'm not going to go through this again. I, you opened my eyes in February, okay? You don't have to do this to me again. Are we going to go through this again? Well, look, I mean, I think there's some predictions of what could happen this winter that, that you know, people could really be without energy. And it's because we've moved too quickly in some of the energy transition things. And, um, and so I think it's going to be a game changer. I think, again, we'll see a greater balance between energy transition and energy security. And people will have to make some decisions to uh, do that differently. You know, your industry is, is, is changing and morphing. I was listening to your conference call, and you were talking about, quote, uh, implementing technology, process improvements, and innovation that have transformed the way we operate and created a lower and sustainable cost, pre uh, cost structure. What are you talking about? How have, how have, you, how have you converted yeah, so David, we've done what industry should do in a downturn, and that is we've gotten better. Uh, we've looked at everything we do as an organization, every piece of our operation, everything we do in the back office, you know, administratively, et cetera. And we are doing it more efficiently by adding uh, innovation, automation, and just thinking differently about the way that we do business. You probably have seen that last year, uh, we reduced our cost by $135 million on about a $500 million cost structure. So 25% reduction on same store assets. We didn't shut anything down. We didn't sell anything. We just did what we did less expensively. And, uh, and that's the kind of things that I think you do in a downturn. Uh, you have time to do it, quite frankly. Technology? Uh, is that what's Responsible of, for this? Lots of technology, but I would, you know, what we try to tell our team every day is innovation doesn't have to be technology. It is just simply asking a question can this be done differently? Uh, technology gets a big part of it because it's fun to talk about the way that we're using bots today uh, to do, you know, robotic automation to do things that people have done in the past. And so our people are able to do different things. They're able to think and analyze and make, you know, strategic decisions as opposed to, uh, you know, dealing with spreadsheets, for example. You know, let me go back to the way we started. And I, this 
this may end up being one of the stupidest questions I've ever asked you, but but you talk about being in the tollway, and and and, and, and as long as the tollway's got to make money, as long as cars are going down the tollway, they can be big cars or small cars, they can be trucks, but as long as stuff is moving along, somebody's dropping a quarter in the basket, making money. That's you. Yes. But 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 what the tollway is is an easement, and it is it's a conduit, and it happens to be used by cars right now. It could be used by light rail, or, you know, I guess they could drill underneath and have these Elon Musk, you know, boring machine zooms underneath. You've got an easement out there. I mean, you've got right. what twelve thousand? What did I say? Twelve thousand miles of of easement. Are right. you locked in to to oil and gas? Uh, well, let me just say, David, the energy transition uh, has led us to look at the pipelines we own. So not just the easements, but using the physical pipelines in the ground differently, because we think that there's going to be um, uh, carbon, for example. Uh, we're working on a project right now is carbon capture and sequestration. So in South Louisiana, around the Mississippi River corridor, one of the highest emission CO2 emissions areas in the United States, we have pipeline running all through that through that area that can be used to capture the CO2 emissions from industrial plants, taking it to a sequestration site, which is nothing but an underground, formerly a, probably a hydrocarbon bearing producing oil and gas field that we can put the CO2 back in. And so absolutely, we are looking at uh, lots of different things right now as far as how we can use our physical assets. You know, you're very kind because that didn't turn out to be as stupid as a question as I'd feared, but it, it, it struck me that when you have that sort of capacity, you can do lots of things with it. That's right. And, and look, David, I would say we've talked about cyclicality. We're in a business that's been very stable. Uh, for the last three or four years, our our uh, earnings have uh, uh, ranged by about 2 to 3% a year in a, in a very you know volatile market. Uh, secondly, uh, we have great opportunities to do things in the energy transition uh, with our assets. Uh, we are highly concentrated in natural gas and natural gas liquids, which we believe has got a much longer runway than most people think. And I think in 2050, for example, right now, uh, so 30 years from now, I believe natural gas demand will be just as high as it is today. And we're going to be there delivering it to the marketplace, just like we always Wait, have. The, the promise was there forever for liquefied natural gases, you know, as an export. And all of a sudden now, I, I mean, you're right. It, it looks like it's just keep getting going. Look, almost, almost out of time. I got to ask you. So you guys were impacted by hurricane, I guess, who was it, Ida and, and others, everything all recovered from all that? Yes, we've had six named hurricanes, I believe, in our operating area in the last uh, 12 or 14 months. Hurricane Ida was the latest. We had a small financial impact, uh, and but everything is back up and running full speed, and our team has done a great job again. We've learned to live with them, uh, unfortunately, in South Louisiana. I guess just one last, you, you don't want to tell me where uh, crude's going to be six months from now or, or net gas? Yeah. Uh, my crystal ball is uh, over in my drawer. I can't reach it right now, David. Thank you. <laughs> if anybody knew, I knew it would be Barry Davis. He's chairman and CEO of Inlink Midstream. And I always enjoy our conversations. I always look forward to them. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Great Th to you. Thanks for more of our conversation with Mr. Davis. Go to KRLD.com. Slash CEO. I'm David Johnson, News Radio 1080 KRLD.